0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Guinness World Record holding Fondazi Fire. That's right, everybody, this is the Fondazi Podcast. And this is a show where we ask the question, what do you want? Now, normally the answer would be more fire, but since it's a podcast today, today, the answer is more salsa and that's salsa sterling. (laughs) (laughs) I am your host, Adam the Rombaro Soko, and with me as always is my lovely and beautiful host, Katie Mighty Mouse Matryshka.
1: Hello. And as Adam said, yes, we have Salsa Sterling joining, Salsa Sterling, I can't talk today, joining us, also known as Casimir. Right? Did I say that do, one do right? I
2: not get? Do I not get to be lovely and beautiful? You can
1: be lovely and beautiful. Just not lovely and beautiful yeah. as me. Or Teresa, <laughs> okay. who is our I amazing... I mean, that's, that's fair. Producer. I just, you
2: know, some people want to feel validated, okay? Yeah. I
1: can understand that. And you are lovely and beautiful.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is why I was the best man.
0: Yes, true. <laughs> just saying. Salsa, so thanks for joining us today. Happy to do so. So, your character currently at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival is Casimir the Hungry, correct?
2: That is correct. You have done your research.
0: Yes. <laughs> and how long have you been doing Casimir now?
2: Casimir for uh, it's five years now. Five, five or six years, maybe now. I'd have to check the receipts, but I think five years. We'll go with five years. Nobody's fact checking this. <laughs>
0: And what was your what was your character before Casimir?
2: Uh, I was uh, Sasha of the Fondazi Fire Circus. You may have heard of them.
0: Yes, <laughs> heard of those.
2: I mean, are you asking for further history than that, or, or?
0: actually, I'm kind of curious on how you, what was your first character out at the Renaissance Festival? Was it was Sasha the first character, or was there somebody before that?
2: So my first character didn't really have a name out at the festival. I I did three years. Um, when I first joined Festival in two thousand two, I want to say it was. Uh, I did three years uh, with Como Cottage, uh, the Reptile Cottage, um, and I didn't have a character. It was it was a volunteer situation where you know you sat there and educated the public on snakes and reptiles, um, and so I didn't really. I wasn't a character per se. I was just a, a guy out there who did that. Um, it was the second year that I kind of developed the character, if you will, um, because I started doing Vilification Tennis my second year at Fest. Uh, And with Vilification Tennis, um, I just started going by Salsa uh, there. I think at one point I tried being something else. I don't even remember what it was, but everybody just called me Salsa anyway. So I was just Salsa for Vilification Tennis, and so that's kind of who I was. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I started. Um, and from there, uh, after three years at Como Cottage, then I went straight to Fondazzi. Uh, Chris and Teresa hired me, uh, to do fire staff stuff with them. And, and the rest, as they say, is geology.
0: Right. How did you get started doing Como Cottage? What, what inspired you to join the Renaissance Festival?
2: So, um, when I was in college, I had a friend who I met through the juggling club um, and her name was Ingrid and she was somebody who had been doing Renaissance Festival for decades and decades and, you know, most of her life. And she knew all the people out here. And so I, you know, through the juggling club at college, got to hanging out with her and became good friends with her. And she's the one who introduced me to the. Uh, the Fire Inc. guys, um, the the fire troops that that used to be out at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival, um, and through them I started learning how to to eat fire, how to manipulate fire, um, and so when Ingrid, my friend, um, who also worked, said, "Hey, there's this volunteer opportunity to work at the Renaissance Festival." I was like, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I had been to the Renaissance Festival twice in my life before that point, um, both of those times before the age of 12. So, you know, it, it had been at least a decade since I had been, but I remember enjoying them as a kid. So I, was, I jumped at the chance. I was like, hey, you know, why not? It was like a four-hour commitment to two, two, two-hour shifts, um, and the rest of the time, you could kind of do whatever you wanted to. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. It seems like a fun way to dress up in funny clothing and, and get a free pass into uh, the Renaissance Festival. Um, and that's, that's how things started for me, you know, hanging out with people that I met through Como Cottage. Uh, they showed me the ropes. They took me around, introduced me to some of the other street characters. Um, they found out I really enjoyed the work and uh, just kind of kept going from there.
0: So how did you get started with Vilification Tennis? You said that happened the second year you were out at Como, right?
2: That was my segue. So, yeah, um, the, the people I hung out with at, at Como Cottage every day at 1230 would head over to the Bear Stage to watch Vilification Tennis, and they drugged me along. And I just thought it was the funniest thing I had ever seen in my life. And um, a, it really began as me and one other person from Como Cottage being – the Como cottage team. Um, because a lot of people with Como cottage had written jokes that would have been good for the show, but weren't really performers. You know, they, they were, they were people who enjoyed educating the audience about reptiles, but weren't really that, that festival stage performer type. Um, and so, uh, it was me and one other person who said, what the heck? We'll, We'll get up there and we'll do it. We'll we'll take all of the jokes from Como Cottage, and we'll be the two people that represent Como Cottage, saying Como Cottage's jokes. You know, and so we we got all, a whole bunch of jokes from a whole bunch of people with Como Cottage, and some of them were great and some of them were not so great. Um, and we got up there and we had maybe ten jokes each that first year. Uh, and this is way back in the era um, when joining the cast of vilification tennis was as simple as getting on stage and doing it. And, and, you know, uh, Tim, the director of that show would, would put you on stage and kind of see how you did. It was a baptism by fire. If you had the chops, then you were invited back. And if you didn't have the chops, you weren't invited back. And we barely squeaked by (laughs) on the skin of our teeth. I think that first time, um, because, i i had been given advice that you want to kind of start start low and ramp up and and that first round you know you 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 get maybe five jokes in before it's done because there's four people on stage each telling jokes you know and and so you get maybe five jokes in and i talked to tim afterwards and he was like your material's not the best i was like i have better material but i was told to start with the the low end stuff. And he's like, jump to the, jump to the better stuff. You don't have time for the low end stuff. So that gave me one more shot. And I, I went with the better material that time and made it. Um, And then I was with vilification tennis for 15 years before I retired.
0: Wow. That's a long run.
1: It's a very long run. Yeah.
0: So introduce our audience to Casimir, the hungry. Well, how would, how would you describe Casimir?
2: Well, uh, do you want do you want my backstory or do you want my show?
0: <laughs> I'm not even sure if I know I Casimir's
1: backstory. Let's go with the backstory. Yeah. I've well, never heard that either. All
2: right. So Casimir is a Russian. Uh, he's he's from the uh, the he he's a, a Muscovite Russian um, as opposed to you know some of the because because Russia at this period in time is not as cohesive as it is now. There's it's slightly more you know fractured, um, much like many areas of the world are at this point, Um, kind of like, kind of like Italy was a bunch of city-states, you know, Russia was also kind of a bit more broken up and scattered into their own personal areas. So um, Casimir is a Muscovite, um, but he has done extensive traveling throughout the world and uh, therefore has developed many useful and interesting skills uh, in his travels. Um, So he's a bit more worldly than your, than your average doubt. Um but uh that's kind of why I have the abilities that I have. But in in function what Casimir is is a sideshow performer. Um, Casimir's show is all about doing the stupid things that mama tells you not to do because it's really, really dumb. Um, I swallow swords, I lay on a bed of nails, I eat fire um i eat glass i um snap a mousetrap on my tongue um in some shows up staple um the uh what's the word i'm looking for the 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 industrial staples into my back Um, i have a
1: question though all that yes with the mousetrap is it a used mouth mousetrap
2: i mean it's been used on my tongue
1: Yes, but has it been used with mice? Because that would make it even scarier.
2: (laughs) No, no, No. it has been. I'm a little disappointed, Um, but okay. No, everything that I have is um, jumping uh, way ahead already. Everything that I have has been uh, sanitized to within an inch of its life. Um, Safety is paramount. In, in the in the sideshow arts whether it be sticking a sword down my throat or stapling my back or you know anything you know safety is yes it's it's inherently a dangerous art but the way any way that we can mitigate the the danger um, is obviously important so the staples that I use before they're stapled into my flesh uh, get get sanitized. Uh, My sword is always squeaky clean and sanitized and polished to within an inch of its life. Um, Everything that I do has always been, how can I make this as safe as humanly possible while also still being incredibly stupid (laughs) a danger? So when I say things like, yes, I'm going to lay down on a bed of deck screws because nails aren't good enough for me no i'm going to amp it up by using deck screws um i have done hours and hours of research on that topic i have done lots of tests um with various different types of wood screws to find the wood screw that works the best i've Intensity of screws to make sure that I've got uh, the correct amount of density to be able to support me without doing any damage to me. I have made sure that I'm using the correct uh, coating on the deck screws to make sure that they are not going to rust out on me, you know, um, things like that. All, all sorts of things have gone into even as simple as prop as a bed of deck screws. Um, I'm the kind of person who researches researches reaches researches some more then does it and then goes back and researches some more uh i i love getting into the the metallurgy and the chemistry and the history and the the biology and the physiology of of everything that i do um because i want to understand it from every angle um that way when there is something that comes up, I know what I'm doing, I know the answer, I know how to improve it, I know why it works, why it doesn't work. You know, I want to understand it completely and holistically uh, before I go out and do something that to the audience just looks like I'm laying down on a bed of deck screws.
0: And I like how you bring a little bit of that science into your show. I'm always fascinated every time you describe what happens when you eat a sword. Me too. Like what's going on?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I
2: one of the things I discovered early on in my juggling career was that I could do the most amazing, intricate crazy body work where you know i'm doing a half flip behind my back and catch catch behind my back and then flipping that between my legs you know in a in a half spin or and you know catching it into a flourish and the audience doesn't care (laughs) (laughs) all the audience wants to see all the audience wants to see is you throw a club really really high and then catch it right because I would do those things. I would do these really crazy, intricate bodywork pieces, but it was so far above their understanding of how difficult that is that they didn't appreciate it. But when they see the spectacle of something going really high, and oh my God, he caught it. Is he going to catch it? He caught it. Yay. That's when they erupted. And that's when they really loved it. And I came to the realization that I can be frustrated. That they don't get it, or I could tell them. I have a captive audience. I can tell them why what I am doing is so impressive. You know, it's you have that ability as a performer to to highlight that which you want to highlight, and so by telling them exactly what's going on inside my body when I am swallowing a sword, I can highlight the dangers, I can highlight the reasons this is difficult. And that way, when I do perform the feat, they're now educated as to why this is difficult, why they should care about this feat. Uh, Swallowing a sword is pretty cool, don't get me wrong, it is really cool. But when the audience knows that I need to literally move my heart out of the way in order to swallow a sword, the danger level is amplified. The significance of the act is amplified. Yes, I'm swallowing a sword, but I'm literally right by my heart with a blade. That elevates everything. And now when I do the stunt, it has so much more impact. Um, And so don't be frustrated with what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Tell them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What what would you say was the most difficult part of learning how to swallow a sword?
2: uh, Swallowing the sword. (laughs) (laughs) I would say
1: it might be like eating fire. The most difficult part is just eating the fire. Like when you first learn, it's just doing that first step.
2: Absolutely. A lot of it is just getting over that that uh, that psychological barrier of holy cow, I'm doing this thing Um, because your body rejects that your body has subconscious, you know, things going on in there actively rejecting that from happening you know it's it's anybody who's ever put contact lenses in their eyes knows that feeling the first time they try to touch their eyeball their eyelids are going no 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 you know they're they're closing your eyes and you're you're flinching back and it's 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 not something you want to do your body is actively trying to re- reject and so forcing your body to ignore its own self-interest is really difficult. Like Katie said, putting fire in your mouth the first time, your body is going, no, this, no, this is dumb. Stop, stop. (laughs) Um, And it's the same thing with, with sword swallowing. You know, there's, there's years spent of uh, learning to control the gag reflex, which is actively trying to prevent you from dying. And, you know, there's three of them. There's one at the back of your throat, one at the base of your neck, and one at the top of your stomach. All of those are working in conjunction to try to keep you from dying. And telling your body to ignore that is hard. Um, By the time you get to the actual point of swallowing a sword, you have spent so many years suppressing that that it almost becomes moot at that point. You know, it's all of that leading up to it. Is forcing your body to ignore everything is the hard part, um, and it it's really the same thing with fire eating, with bed of nails, with glass, with all those other things. It's it's teaching your body to reject its own self interest uh, is what takes years of practice and training. Once you get to that point, the feat itself is almost the afterthought.
0: So what was the timeline between like when you first started thinking, I want to do sword swallowing to actually beginning to practice it, to being a performer of sword swallowing?
2: So the timeline, it was, I was with Fandazi at the time and I was, I was motivated to up my game to Create um, was like I want I want to innovate, and so I was just kind of brainstorming and thinking of how can I how can I do something that's never been done before, and I stumbled upon I don't even know how, but I came across this idea of having um, a, a kind of built as a comedy routine where me and one other fire performer were one upping each other, and. Part of that was the gag of coming stepping out with a uh, a torch with a really long handle, which is you know just a, ha, ha 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 I've got this really long handle, and then having the other person grab the the torch and slide it down to the center of of the long handle, which was a funny gag. And then I thought, well, one of the rules of comedy is don't don't introduce a concept that you're not willing to follow through with because Mm -hmm. you if you if you bring something up as a possibility you have to be willing to follow through with it um otherwise it's let down because if you go i'm gonna do this thing no i'm just coding i'm not gonna actually do that thing the audience feels really let down so you really need to be willing to not whatever you say you have to be willing to do um and so this idea of having them slide the torch down to the center of the uh, of the rod, I was like, well, then I, how am I going to eat this torch? Would I eat it sideways or would I have to swallow <laughs> the rod down to the torch? And I was like, well, in order to do that, I'd have to learn sword swallowing. And for the average human being, the obvious conclusion to that would be, so I guess I can't do it. And for me, <laughs> the obvious conclusion was – Well, I guess I have to learn sword following now. (laughs) Um, And so it really came from this idea for a fire stunt. But from that point, I'm I'm not the kind of person to marinate on something. When I get an idea, I act on it pretty quickly. And so it was within 10 minutes of me coming up with this, well, I guess I have to do this. I was already researching you know, I was already online looking things up, doing reading, trying to figure out how is this possible. Um, and this was about eight years ago now, I'd say, if my timeline is correct. Again, nobody's fact checking this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, it was something that I kind of. It wasn't something that I that I was plugging at every day. It was something that I kind of drifted in and out of, you know, something else would come along and I'd get occupied with that. And then I would drift back to it and and work on it some more. And then something else would happen and I'd drift away and work on that. And then I would drift back into it. So it was about three years. uh, I'll I'll say it was about two years of kind of drifting in and out. And then that last year I kind of went, okay, no, I'm really serious this time. I'm going to do this. Um, and, and so it was about another year of, of actual hard work of, of uh, you know, really working at this skill. Um, and I was just about ready to say that this is something that I'm I'm willing to to uh, do as a single stunt. About five years ago. Um, And that is, (laughs) and it was going to be with Fondazi that I did this this stunt, obviously. And that was the point in time where I left Fondazi. Right. Um, And so suddenly, instead of one stunt, it was like, can I turn this into a half hour show? (laughs) (laughs) And I had about six months to go from, well, I have this half formed crazy idea for a single stunt two half hour show and and so i did i I worked at it really really hard um and that first year at the renaissance festival i'd say it was maybe a 20 minute show i was out on the street so i didn't have a a gridded time block i could kind of set my own time show um that i did Uh, and then the second year then i was gridded on a stage so i actually had to have that half hour show but. Yeah, it was it was so that's that's kind of the timeline. It was two years of kind of wishy-washy and then one year of of solid work uh before I hit the stage for the first time as Casimir.
1: So how many sword swallowers are there in the world?
2: A few dozen.
1: So there's not very many.
2: Not many. Not many at all. There is uh the um Sword Swallowers Association International website lists all of the known professional sword swallowers. Um, And there are fewer than 150 on that page. Um, That doesn't mean that that's all there are in the world, but that's all of the currently active, performing sword swallowers. Um, So there's fewer fewer than 150 on that page, which means that likely... There's probably you know, a couple dozen that aren't on that list just because they aren't as known or or aren't performing. Um, but it is a, an extremely difficult and dangerous stunt, so there's probably not that many more. So it's really hard to nail down an exact number, which is why the official count is a few dozen. Um, but that is a global count. It's, it's not something that are a dime a dozen, that's for sure.
1: Is this something you think that you might pass on to your children?
2: If they want to. Um, Performing anything that we do is something that if our kids, when they reach the age of maturity, want to learn, absolutely. Um, One of our kids has already decided that when they are old enough, they do not want to learn fire eating. And the other one is like, absolutely, I want to learn that. Um, (laughs) if their personality says that that's something they want to do by all means. Um, I don't know if I am ready to teach yet. I feel like you need a certain level of mastery and experience before you teach. Um, I think I'm getting close, but, uh, if, if it's, if it's something I am not willing my own children to do, then why am I doing it myself? Right you understand know. that. Um, did Lord you- knows I put my own mother through enough <laughs> headache.
0: <laughs> did you have any teachers or mentors or do you now?
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have had many conversations with various uh, sword swallowers around the world. Um, I think the one that probably helped me the most was a guy out of New York uh, by the name of Keith Nelson. He's uh, the guy in charge of the Bindlestiff Family Circus out in New York. Um, I met him at a juggling festival here in the Twin Cities a few years, and he was a fountain of knowledge and super, super nice. Um, I Throughout the weekend of that juggling festival, Every couple hours, would walk up to him and go, "Okay, a couple more questions. I promise these are my last ones." And you know, just grill him on on a few things. And he was super nice, and he always answered all of my questions and gave me fantastic advice and told me things I never even thought of. Um, and he was he was great. Uh, I owe a lot to him. Um, but various others uh, throughout the world. There's a performer that used to be out of Chicago. She's now in Louisiana, in in uh, by the name of Gigi. Uh, she gave me some good pointers here and there on on uh, various various aspects of things. Uh, she was she gave me a lot of good advice on blockhead stuff uh, more than sword swallowing, but still just a fantastic performer. Been doing it for years. She's she's toured with like Motley Crue and and things like that. So she you know, she's she's been in the trenches for a long time. Uh she gave me some great advice. So yes, it was it was definitely something. Sword swallowing is not something I would recommend homeschooling on. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> yeah, you can do a sense. lot of research, but but it's it is it is extremely dangerous. People do die. I'm not gonna sugarcoat that at all. Do die. Um and you know career ending injuries do happen um it was only in the last uh, a couple years where somebody who'd been doing it for for a long time perforated his his throat um, because he something went wrong and, and he perforated his throat and the sword tip went into his chest cavity yeah um thankfully thankfully he survived he went to the hospital everything but but yeah his career is done um another guy i know um tom selectomy uh he bruised his heart uh doing he he was had a sword swallowed, and something bumped the handle of his sword and like I said, it's pushing your heart out of the way, and so it it slammed into his heart hard enough uh that it bruised his heart and it ended his sword swallowing career wow. Wow. Um, because because he had to stop swallowing swords, obviously while that healed, and the bruising meant he had to go on like various blood thinners and things like that and if you're on blood thinners perforations are bad so yeah so he had to he had to quit so various thing it yeah. is it is an extremely dangerous stunt don't get me wrong um but because of that make sure that you have a human being who is able to answer your questions and point you in the right direction standing next to you um don't don't try to go at yourself
1: i'm sorry i'm just imagining your show right now and like <laughs> the can't I love I love watching Katie
0: watch your show.
2: It is so great. It is so wonderful. I really I wish that's one of the worst parts about doing what I do is all of my best stunts involve looking straight up. (laughs) Uh, Whether I'm eating fire or swallowing a sword. I'm looking straight up, I can't see the audience. All I can do is hear the reaction. And there are so many times in my career where I've wanted to go, what do they look like right now? Because <laughs> the sound is amazing.
1: Yeah. Okay, Okay. next time you're on stage, I'm gonna either get Soleil Craig or somebody who's good with camera, because it's not me, um, to take pictures towards the audience from yeah. backstage.
2: Actually, what, what I need is one of those mirrors. Above me, <laughs> so I can see what's
1: <laughs> okay. So we need Big to get we need to get the um you. the the people on the stilts. Yeah. The, stilt, the stilt walkers, walkers to oh, stand this, over you. The high court yeah. stand over me with <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
2: that sounds delightful.
1: <laughs> not, not dangerous at all for you. <laughs>
0: What does a uh, a day in the life of Casimir the Hungry look like at the Renaissance Festival?
2: <sighs> um, there's a whole lot of going places. Um, I do three, three or four, three shows. I don't even remember. It's been a long time. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> right. been a year and a half since I've done um three or four shows. And okay, three shows on the. Sherwood stage. Um, that's our stage. Those are half, what's that?
1: I said, yes, that's yes, our stage. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes the Fondazzi
2: stage. Along, along, <laughs> um, I hang out, in the morning I wake up and I listen to Fondazi getting ready uh, <laughs> and doing their sound checks and stuff. Um, no, I um, I have three shows at uh, every day at uh, the Sherwood stage um, and then the rest of my day is doing special events uh, for uh, a lot of you know I, I will do uh, the Feast of Fantasy um, the, the the wine tasting um, the pig and swig um, I'm forgetting something the mead show I've done the mead show in the past um,
1: you do the body beer show at the end of the day too
2: sometimes sometimes uh i i don't do that one regularly uh but i will step in and do that um as as a, a replacement for someone if somebody's not feeling well or something like that i've i've done that show so my day i i spend a lot of time going to various special events to do appearances um and then uh, I, I race back to my stage to do my show before racing away to do another special event um so, I don't get a lot of downtime in the day uh between my shows because I'm usually either going to another area to do an appearance or coming back from the area to do the appearance uh and that doesn't leave a lot of time for <laughs> going to the bathroom and getting a glass of water um
1: right you don't get thankfully
2: to, I, well,
1: so you don't get to eat, ahead. do you when you're because of your sword swallow no. so you no. you don't eat all day either.
2: I don't eat all day, and, and that's you know a good time-saving device, to be fair, <laughs> uh, not having to take the time out of the day to do that. But yes, it is, it is absolutely true, because um, when you're swallowing swords, you need an empty stomach uh, for a couple of reasons. One being that uh, when you have something in your stomach, uh, it's a lot harder to control your gag reflex, and you can control it for a less amount of time. Um, and so you need that empty stomach. And the other thing is, is if you do have anything in your stomach, when you withdraw the sword, you taste it Gross. and it's, yeah, it's an unpleasant thing. Um, so water, water is what I have throughout the day, um, to keep me hydrated. It does also water, the weight of the water will also pull your stomach down a little bit. So you get a little bit more length on the sword. Um, but, uh, it wow. also yeah, science. Um, but it also it, it also washes things down. You know, it will be like uh, I've I've done a lot of going back to the research. I've spent a lot of time researching how long various foods stay in your stomach, um, just so I know exactly if I have eggs for breakfast. This is when I have to stop having eggs for breakfast, so that that has left my stomach before my first show. Because if I don't do that, I taste them, <laughs> and that's not pleasant. You know, so. So I don't get to eat during the day just because I am doing shows constantly throughout the day. So my day is I have a really big breakfast before my cutoff time, which is a few hours before my first show. And then the rest of the day up until closing cannon, I, I don't have any food. I just have water. Um, and that is brutal. That is tough. Uh, it, is, it is, especially on a hot August day, You know where there's you're chewing on dust and the sun's beating down at you, Um, and you're you're constantly on the go. You're burning calories all over the place because you're you're moving, you're you're talking. You know, above a crowd, you're physically active. You're you know you you can't just sit there like a lump. You have to be physically active and and energetic on a stage, which burns so much energy. Um, And so by the end of the day. I'm drained. I'm so, so drained by the end of the day. Um, and so dinner is amazing. <laughs> but, it, but it is it is another one of those things that, that goes into the lifestyle of, of being a sword swallower, uh, is accepting that that is a thing. Um, coffee is a big no-no because caffeine dries out your, your throat. Uh, and and it it stiffens your throat. Um, cold water stiffens your throat. Um,
1: so do you have to drink hot water? Alcohol.
2: So I, I tea. Uh, i I drink tea a bunch during the day. If I do drink water, I make sure that it's it's not the ice cube stuff. Um, you know that we've got various watering stations throughout fest, and you know i will I will always take the water from the ones that aren't chilled. Um, the okay. ones that have just been sitting out. So they're room temperature, basically. I'll, I'll drink room temperature water um, because There's the so cold water There's so many things water that will... you're
0: mentioning that are just like my favorite part of the day. Like <laughs> having bacon <laughs> at the pig and swig is like a highlight of my day. <laughs> And cold no, water is it, amazing. Rough.
2: It, it's so bad because uh, the pagan swig, they'll have extra bacon or feast yeah. of the fantasy. They'll have a couple extra pork chops that they put out back for the performers. And it's just like, like <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or, um, you know, just uh, somebody comes up to you and you know with a flask and is like, "Would you like a nip of of uh, of scotch on a cold September morning?" And it's like, "No, I can't do that because the alcohol dries out my throat, and 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 that's that's bad. I need my throat to be." you know, soft and flexible and, and able to do the things that I'm going to do to it. So, you know, I, I have to cut out alcohol. I have to cut out caffeine. I have to cut out cold water. I can't eat food during the day. You know, it, it really does become a lifestyle rather than just a skill. Um, it's something that I have to do throughout the year that is, you know, once you learn to control your gag reflex, that's not something that it's one and done. I I can control it. I'm done. No, that means that's something that year in, year out, I have to swallow a sword at least once a week, if not every two weeks, to keep that ability. Because otherwise I will lose that. Um, a few years back, I got really... St- sick i was laid out with like the flu for for a while and uh, i didn't swallow a sword for like two two and a half weeks and that first time swallowing a sword again it was like oh i'm starting way over i've lost six months of of work um so it is it's it's something that has become part of my life is is always keeping my hand in this so
1: it sounds really different from when you started so how is when you first started, is there anything you miss as opposed to like, what am I trying to ask him?
0: You mean when you first started festival?
1: Yeah, because it's so different.
0: Yeah. Is there something that you miss now compared to like what you used to have when you were, say, performing with Fondazzi or when you were back with the cottage?
1: Besides artichoke dip.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do miss the artichoke dip. It's right. I miss... In some ways, I really love being a solo performer because I really do get to be in charge of my own destiny. Um, I, I get to make the calls on on how my show goes. I get to des- decide when things go, where things go, how things go. I get to decide which shows that I do. Um, you know, decide I'm going to do uh, the Nebraska Renaissance Festival this year, and I'm going to do the. South Dakota Renaissance Festival this year, but uh Lake Area and Jane'sville are both the same weekend this year, so I have to decide which one of those to go to and I get to make those choices of which ones I want to go to, which ones I don't want to go to. Uh but on the other hand, something I really do miss with Fondazi is that family you know, it was, it wasn't just me out on the road by myself, you know, out out there driving to, to Nebraska six hours both ways with my, myself and you, you know, it was that family. We got together, we did things as a group. We got together periodically and we choreographed stuff and we made fun of each other and we laughed and we ate artichoke dip and, and stuff like that, uh, that, that group dynamic that we had. I do miss that, um, but uh yeah, it was give and take both ways. And I didn't have to be in charge. That was nice. Not having to contract <laughs> negotiate was really nice. I had to I had to crash course my way through contract negotiations when I first started because I had no idea what I was doing.
1: I tried to take over once for Adam with contract negotiations and it went horribly, horribly wrong and I will never do it again. <laughs>
2: It is a unique set of skills that yeah. nobody tells you that you need to have when you first start this. Uh, thankfully, again, I had a great mentor in in these things. Um, a friend of ours, Mark Lazarczyk, Um, You know, I've sat by the the campfire in in the campground after hours. You know, having hours of chats with him. And one of the things that we talked about was how he's able to get away with some of the stuff that he gets away with. <laughs> you know, and because because he's got a lot of things in his that a lot of people don't think about. You know, some people will come up to him and be like, you're supposed to be doing this right now. And he's like, nope, it's in my contract. And they'll be like, how is that even a thing that can be in your contract? (laughs) Um, But, you know, he and I have had conversations about it in the past, about how he is able to pull this sort of stuff off. And, And a secret, ask for it. Right. <laughs> that's honestly, that's ninety percent of it.
0: Well, salsa, I appreciate you taking your time out of your day to come and talk to us and uh, contribute to this podcast. I'm always happy to do so. I have, do have one final question for you, just to kind of wrap things up. I was certainly.
2: I, yeah, I'm sad it's ending. Honestly, I could, uh, there's so <laughs> many things that I. I've, you know, just all the various things like all the leather working that I've done for Fondasi and yeah. stuff like that. It's just like we didn't even touch on that. But no, we of. actually like,
1: huh? we want to do a podcast just about the the costuming and the leather work and stuff yeah. with you. We so still we'll have, have
2: to have you again. on again. I would be happy to, to come back for that. I, as I mentioned to to everyone before the show, I, I weekly put out a, a two hour podcast. So this short one hour format is is very. I have so more and more to say, <laughs> <laughs> but. But I will respect your times.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so the question I have is uh, we have a lot of performers that listen to this podcast and people I believe that <laughs> may want to be performers or just, you know, they might just be general population as well. But what is one thing that you would say to the performers that are listening to help them aspire to uh, not just be better by themselves, but also just be better for the performing community?
2: Uh, one thing. Um, I I can think of seven. Um, One thing is, um, there's no way I'm going to put this into one, so I'll I'll list a couple. Uh, Number one, don't have an ego. Um, There is always somebody out there better than you, and there is always going to be somebody out there worse than you. So do not look at one person and go, I'm better than that, because there's somebody out there who can kick your butt. Um, And that person who is, not better than you right now can someday be better than you if they put in the time and effort. Uh, if you lift them up instead of putting them down, then everybody gets better. Um, another thing that I would say is try new things um, there is my my personal motto in life uh is yet. It's one word yet. Uh, and when you kind of wrap your head around the fact that you can do things. If you do them the first time, you know, everybody is born having never done anything in their life. Everybody is born having not walked yet. Everybody is born having not fallen in love yet. Everybody is born not having juggled yet. Everybody is born not being on stage yet. It's that first time you need to not think about the things that you cannot do. And you need to say, I cannot do them yet. And stop thinking of it as a negative as something that's suppressing you and think of it as an aspirational thing of this is something that that some do for the first time. And once you've done it for the first time, everything past that is no longer the first time. You've done it. You've done that thing, but you need to do it for the first time. You haven't done it yet. So do it.
0: I think think the yet is such a great thing. I think Being able to try new things is super important. And like you said, we also need to be uplifting each other and having that less of an ego because the more we can uplift each other, the better we can all become as a group. Because as they say, all ships rise together. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, pop on over to the Patreon and look for Fondazi Fire. If you have any questions or show ideas for us, anything that you want to know, then email us at fondazi at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to Fondazi Fire Presents. What do you want on your favorite podcast platform? And we'll see you next time.